Mr. Producer, a couple of writers are here to uh, pitch you a, uh, a new property. Uh, let them in. Uh, right away, sir. Hi, Mr. Uh, producer. Uh, how are you today? Uh, good. Uh, and uh, yourselves? Oh, I- I'm just super. It's such an honor to meet you. I wish I could say the honor was uh, not all yours. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, Mr. Producer, we're here to pitch you a movie idea that I think is very novel, and you're going to absolutely love it. All right, uh, knock my socks off. Okay, uh, so, uh, basically, we've been going through the Rotten Tomatoes, okay? And we're looking for movies that have got over 75% of an approval rating from users, and we found one that's got 90% approval rating on on the Rotten Tomatoes, and, um, well... You remember City Slickers from the 90s? Uh, wasn't that that, uh, that movie that that guy uh, got on stage after the Oscars and did a bunch of push-ups? The old man died that, in the movie? That did happen. You're right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I was there. I remember. That's not what the movie's going to be about, though. Oh, it, it's not a biopic? N- no, sir. It, what we're thinking is maybe uh, City Slickers 3. Uh... Talk about this a little further. I mean, all of these, uh, all the movies we're tr- trying to do right now are, are, are reboots. So it could be The City Slickers. It could indeed, but the novelty of our idea doesn't end there. We're thinking an all-female cast. <laughs> That'll never work. <laughs> all girls doing cowboy stuff. <laughs> Uh, um, um, assistant. Uh, yes, sir. I need another drink. And get one for these two. They're they're really sad sacks. <laughs> I take it you uh, aren't treating our idea with the seriousness that we had expected. Oh, I thought you were just trying to break the ice here. You're serious. Well, yes, sir. Yes, you. I mean, you've seen how receptive people have been to the new Ghostbusters reboot, and we thought that maybe we could, you know. Tag along, jump on that train. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of these movies coming out in the future, and it'd be wise for all of us to get on the bandwagon. Oh, I think that's a flash in the pan. I saw the trailer for the new Ghostbusters movie. It looks like it's going to be absolute garbage. I mean, bitch slapping a ghost out of somebody? Who believes that? Well, that doesn't seem like a very 2016 attitude to have, sir. Eh, 2016, 2016, ah, just do the same thing we've been doing since 1978. No, we really think that this could work. What if it was a prequel starring Curly, but instead of Jack Palance, rest his soul, we have Kathy Bates in the lead role. Okay, so you guys come in here with this prequel stuff. Uh, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourselves. Uh, Why don't you just sell me... On what you've got. I know you come in here with a with a full idea or we wouldn't have made an appointment. Okay, okay. So imagine this. Close your eyes and just think about this. I, I'm closing my eyes. Okay, we've got Tina Fey playing the part of Billy Crystal. All right, Tina Fey is bankable, yes. And her best friend, Amy Pola, she'll sign right on for the film. Uh, she'll, she'll be the Phil, the, the bad guy from the Home Alones. All right, Dad. She gets to wear a hat the whole time. Okay, I got it. And then we need just a little bit of uh, ethnic flavor, so we've thought about bringing in Mindy Kaling for that third part. She's sexy. Yeah? 
Yeah. Hmm. These are all very good casting decisions, I think. Hmm. Well, uh, something's not quite popping. There's not, uh... Tell me about uh, sex appeal. Uh, how are we going to get to the youth? Well, that's the best part. We've got, lined up, Zach Efron... The Zac Efron? The Zac Efron, that's right. From the Disney Channel, yeah. Oh, all the tweens love him. I think it's a savvy move on our part. So we won't be targeting just the uh, 40 and above crowd midlife crisis crew. Uh, Expand it with the tweens sex appeal. Yeah, yeah. What else you got? Okay, so here's what we're thinking for Curly. All right. Uh, Kathy Bates? Mm, nah, I'm thinking uh, Betty White. Give it a classic mm. appeal. Oh. Betty White. Good idea, yeah. Mr. Producer. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I thought of it. <laughs> uh, don't we have uh, a couple of fat guys hawking ice cream in this picture originally? Well, I mean, we, I don't think we want to call them fat. Let's just call them... Uh, Pleasantly plump? Unconventionally attractive. <laughs> Listen, sister. I will call them what I fee fit. When you make as much money as me, you do what you want. What, we got a Seth Rogen-James Franco thing? Oh, 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 I think you just killed it. Oh, oh, nope, that never works. Nope, I, you two, just, just get out of here. Stop talking to me. This is done. Forget it. Are you sure, Mr. Producer? I'm absolutely sure. Uh, assistant? Yes, sir. Please escort them from my office. I can't believe he didn't go for Seth Rogen and James Franco. He'll live to regret this, I'm sure. Yeah, he will. High five, buddy. High five. Meanwhile, back in the office... I'm uh, sorry, Mr. Producer, to have uh, wasted your time like that. I really thought they were on to some gold. Are you kidding? They're on fire! I had to get them out of here. Uh, hand me the phone, quickly. Hey, Ron! Opie! Baby! In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media. Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly. And I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good or bad? Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. One podcast dares to make sense of it all, so you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now, welcome your hosts. Hey, everybody, it's Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. And special guest. Hey, everybody, it's me, Veronica. Thanks, Thanks disembodied, disembodied voice guy. guy. Say, disembodied voice guy. Hey, Veronica. Uh, hi. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> oh. My. God! I can't believe I'm actually on the same podcast as you! I really appreciate your nuanced portrayal of evil on Cthulhu and Friends. Much better than most Hollywood garbage. Tell me, how do you do it? 
Oh, well, I... I don't know, I make a lot of sacrifices before And the way that you handle the sanity rolls in the game? Such creativity! <laughs> it's just like back when I was in the Trojan Wars, and the guys I was okay, taking on never saw it coming. We were up against the wall. Uh, Not, bodies piled high hey, to the ceiling. Hey, disembodied voice guy. What? Well, for one thing, please don't tell that story again. And you're kind of starting to embarrass yourself with all this uh, gushing. Uh, oh my god. What am I doing? <laughs> Veronica, I'm terribly sorry about this. I've never seen him like this. Heard him like this. You know, we can't see him. He's a disembodied voice. You know what? I know just the thing to solve this. Hey, uh, disembodied voice guy. Yes? Roll sanity. <gasps> Maybe we should pick him up. Mm. How, how do we How do we do that? Uh, yeah, w how would we really know where he yeah, even landed? Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast, the podcast where we talk about old movies. So you don't have to. Well, they can talk about them. We watch them, so you maybe they don't have to. Comment but they can them. watch them if they want right. to. Like we said before, I'm Mike. And I'm Pete. And we're sitting here with Veronica from the Cthulhu and Friends podcast. Hello, everyone. It's so exciting to be here. Welcome to our humble internet show. It's really cozy. I didn't expect it to be so warm in here. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the Sacred Cows HQ, uh, you know, we try to please. I just didn't expect it to be inside of a Sacred Cow. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah right. Literally. It's pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, we, hell, we have a disembodied voice hanging around. So. We do. <laughs> And now he's unconscious on the floor, I guess. Yeah, he'll pick himself up later. We won't really notice anyway. Right. So, what are we talking about today? The 1991 pseudo-comedy heartfelt classic City Slickers, starring some very notable people. Well, notable in 1991 anyway. Okay, so before we get into that, that's part of our little history section about the movie, uh, if you're new to us... We're going to talk a little bit about ourselves now. So we review old movies. We talk about movies that are at least 10 years old or older. So 2006 or before. That sounds weird to say that. Yeah, it does. It makes you feel old. Yeah, right. And we also uh, make sure these movies have to be of some sort of cultural relevance or financial success. You know, So we're, we're, we're not going to talk about your movies that you have absolutely no idea if they hold up. It's going to be movies that we have a question about, or in some cases, movies that were just a big hit and we want to talk about because we have a podcast and we can do that. Right. You know, maybe you remember a film differently from your childhood than uh, the actual truth of the matter. Uh, things that you loved as a child, perhaps a 30-year-old you doesn't love quite as much. And that's why we are so happy that uh, Veronica actually suggested this movie for us. I really loved it as a kid. I thought it was great. So, and I should not have been watching that as a child, as I found out. <laughs> All right. Well, don't spoil it yet. We'll get no. into that in a few seconds. But, but it is good that you picked this movie because City Slickers is a film that I would have absolutely never reached for on my own. So, uh, to give it to give it a, a second thought in this format, I think that that you did us a service with that one. So, thank you. And with that, let's get right to our history section. All right, Veronica, Pete, let's talk about the history of this movie. What did you find out about City Slickers? 
Who wants to go first? Not a whole hell of a lot, but um, yeah. <laughs> the um, the cast list, I think, is perhaps the most notable historical aspect of this film. Uh, we've got Billy Crystal in the in the main role. This was probably at the height of his Oscar hosting time and popularity uh, in the public eye. But who the hell's seen Billy Crystal? You know, anytime recently, I have no idea. <laughs> um, we have another blast from the past, uh, Jack Palance, in a memorable role. He is a sacred cow because he p- passed away in 2006. And he didn't stop acting until 2005. Right, right. So he was very active, um, you know, a long time ago. Not so much Over now. 50 years, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, quintessential re- westerns, he is just an icon, so... It- he was great for this role. He couldn't be more rugged. He seriously could not. Yeah. I mean, he <laughs> is that character, totally. Yes. He's not just a little weenie in real life either. I mean, the the famous uh, Oscar win that he had for this movie, uh, he got out and did one-arm push-ups on the stage uh, as he was accepting the award. So, you know, he's, he's a badass, basically. And the next year, when uh, he came back just for kicks, he ended up pulling around a giant Oscar statue with Billy right. Crystal riding on top of it. Right, right. Another uh, feat of strength <laughs> and yeah. manliness, certainly. I, I didn't I didn't find out a ton about this, uh, except it was uh, directed by Ron Underwood, who more famously uh, directed Splash and... Um, Tremors. 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 I'd yeah. never heard the name Ron Underwood before. Come to find out, he directed Tremors, which is a movie that's rather near and dear to my heart. And he ended up uh, going on to direct the Eddie Murphy flop Pluto Nash and got kicked back down from the minors. That's right. <laughs> now he's nobody. Well, he, he he's still directing he's things, somebody. but mostly TVs and shows and stuff. I see, I see. But the caliber of TV shows that he produces, or, or I guess directs, I didn't look to see if he was a director or producer on those, but they're pretty great. So he did Ugly Betty, Monk, um, mm-hmm. sure. I think maybe Desperate Housewives, too. So pretty Once Upon a Time he's shows. on right now, too. Yeah, so... Um, either hits or, like, winning, award-winning shows. Yeah. So he's transitioned to the small screen successfully. Which seems to be a good idea in the 20-aughts for yeah, a lot of directors. For sure, for sure. Rounding out the cast, uh, there's Daniel Stern in this movie, who was fairly popular in this day and age, uh, having done uh, Home Alone the year before, starring in movies like, uh, uh, what is it, Rookie of the Year. Oh yeah, he was in that. Yeah. He was the comic relief in that movie. He was also, you, you know him, he was the voice of the Wonder Years, the narrator. He was Dilbert's voice in the short-lived <laughs> cartoon, what? which I liked. Well, now I'm learning things right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, he still does stuff, but according to Mike, which I just heard, he's right now, uh, he has his own cattle ranch, is that right? He, yeah, he uh, after this movie, he famously enjoyed the cattle rustling part of this so much that he went and bought his own cattle ranch that he owns and operates right now. I mean, he's still active in Hollywood, um, but not as much anymore because he enjoys doing the whole cattle ranch thing. Seriously, go look at for pictures of him now. He looks totally different. He could not play Marv right now. No, <laughs> he looks like Clancy Brown or you know something like <laughs> he that. He turned into some kind of badass. Mm-hmm, and yeah. Nobody was watching. And actually, I did see him on um, Chicago PD recently, and I was flipping the channels. Apparently, he had like a three-episode arc on that. And okay, I'm okay. Like, Marv? The sure. Wet Bandit? Yeah. Right. Huh. So, wow. 
Well, that was really awesome. You guys are like the Mike and Petapedia. We we only study important topics like uh, <laughs> who was in City Slickers and what are they doing now. You guys want some more interesting <laughs> facts about this this movie? I I did manage to dig up some after, oh, okay. after okay. much effort yesterday. <laughs> Great, great. Well, lay it on us. Yeah, this isn't as well documented as other movies that we've done. But, of course, um, spoilers, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal played uh, the son of Billy Crystal in this movie. As the little jerk off. When he was 10. Yeah, right. Yep. Mm -hmm. His very first acting role ever. I thought he looked familiar, and you had told me that Jake Gyllenhaal was in it, but then I watched the movie and that didn't click who yeah. that kid was. Yep. Same here. Mm-hmm. Yep, now, now you can see it, can't you? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't be unseen. Um, it's worth noting that his other kid, his daughter, was played by his actual real-life daughter. Yep. Um, oh, mm-hmm. I hate to say this, guys, but we should have put Jake Gyllenhaal as the eye candy into our pitch. Oh, right, because you have to have a... Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, I, what do you mean? Yeah. That was a totally. That was that was that was real. What? You, that wasn't us. Yeah. And of that, course. that was three totally different people. Yeah. <laughs> Her- Hiroshi cut that. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, Rick Moranis was originally going to be playing Phil before mm-hmm. Daniel Stern did it, but um, uh, Rick Moranis famously retiring from Hollywood. This year, when he found out his wife was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer. Sure, sure. Wow, really? So Rick Moranis wasn't really active at all in like any of the nineties. <sighs> I think he, I think he was, he was, he hadn't decided that yet to retire. I okay. think he did maybe a couple more Honey Eye, whatever the movies. Honey Eye, whatever the kids. Yeah. yeah, but um, I think like after a certain point, they knew it was gonna be bad. But this is when he first started going down that road where he okay. ended up retiring and being a full time dad. I see. I see. Originally, Curly was written by, for Jack Palance, but he turned it down because he had another role in something else. That movie didn't pan out, so then he came back to do this. Uh, they had asked Charles Bronson to play uh, Curly when Jack Palance couldn't be there, uh, and Charles Bronson famously turned it down. Mm-hmm. And of course, he uh, didn't like it that his character died in the movie. He's yeah. like Charles Bronson never dies. And, and I loved it. yes, exactly. And I loved it that Jack Palance had basically said that he had a conversation with uh, Charles Bronson. You know, later that year, where Bronson's basically kicking himself for mm-hmm. not playing Curly, watching the Oscars <laughs> that year. I'm sure going stupid, stupid, stupid. Well, that was also back like when you weren't guaranteed a sequel. I mean, sequels were kind of like, oh, we don't do sequels in Hollywood. You, you got a sequel if the movie was good and made money, not yeah. like, we're going to green light the first uh, three movies of this, you know, series right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully they don't suck. Bruno Kirby was is actually allergic to horses, so every time they did a scene on a horse with uh, him in it, they had to give him a shot. <laughs> yep. He's really earning his paycheck. Yep. Who is that guy? I don't think I have ever seen him in anything else. Bruno he, Kirby. He's a character actor, but I'm not too familiar with all his other work. Hmm. And, of course, um, the most uh, interesting, famous thing about this is that, in real life, Billy Crystal is a huge, huge New York Yankees fan. Oh. They made him a Mets fan because they could not get the Yankees to let them use the logo. And Crystal has said that during his career, even though he loves the Yankees as a team, they are so bad about letting them use the logo for anything They're... that he just stopped asking. Huh. Every time he's ever asked the Mets for anything, they're like, yeah, sure. Do a charity event? Sure. Great. Well, the Mets are whores, though. Oh, yeah. but So that was probably killing him a little bit every time he had to don that Mets hat, you know? It's kind of like, 
He oh. did, he did, he did only agreed to it because he still wanted to sort of represent the city of New, New York. New York, sure, sure. Because yeah. you know where you're from. Wear right? a baseball hat instead of a cowboy hat. Wait, you mean to tell me Billy Crystal's from New York? Nah, forget about it. <laughs> I don't see it. But uh, yeah, that's really that's really all I had. There's there's not a ton of of information about this yeah. movie other than you know it was the sixth number six movie in 1991 for huh. for box office. All right, so now we're going to talk about your experiences with this movie. How did you come into contact with it the first time? Your history. Uh, let's start with Veronica, since you're the guest. Our esteemed guest. Oh, boy. Okay, guys. Well, actually, I don't know that I saw this in 1991. I'm pretty sure that I saw it in maybe 93 or so, right before City Slickers 2 came out. So I know for sure that I saw it pirated on a VHS tape. Absolutely. Yarr. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really loved it, and I watched it over and over again. I thought it was just a great movie, a uh, family-friendly movie, and uh, yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed it. And I think that it comes from my background watching Westerns with my grandpa, so I've been watching mm. Westerns, like I've seen every John Wayne movie, and so it was just kind of my thing maybe i'm not sure i liked westerns and mermaids there you go what about you pete westerns and mermaids are something that this uh director has experience with both right? of them. yes <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny i have a not so storied history with this movie i have i'm pretty sure i've only seen it once and that was probably in the mid to late 90s um and I didn't remember anything about it when I watched it this time, honestly. And and, and I who can blame young me? Uh, because it seems like the subject matter is geared more towards, you know, older me than, than <laughs> younger me. So younger me probably didn't give too much of a crap about this movie. So and how about you, Mike? What is, what's your experience? I remember watching it with my parents. I remember thinking that the animated section, and this is not a spoiler, in the beginning of the movie and during the credits was really funny. You know, I, as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, the guy's dancing with a cow. It's so funny. You know? Yeah. I thought the exact same thing, Mike. And then I watched this with my seven-year-old, again, because I remember this being a kid-friendly movie. And she did not chuckle once and walked away during the opening credits. And I was like, what? This is very funny. I, I think it's because they didn't grow up with, like, Bugs Bunny-style yeah. cartoons. Because that's very much that kind of thing. Kids today. <laughs> if it was, like, you know, Goku or something. Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. <laughs> They want the computer-generated images. Or that, too. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, also, we we had it on a pirated VHS tape as well um, because we had HBO, and then sometimes we would not have HBO. We'd go, like, three months having it, and then we'd get rid of it because, like, oh, we've seen all these movies, like, a million times. Because we taped them. <laughs> <laughs> Large video library. Oh, God, there was so many VHSs. I just remember it said City Slickers in black magic marker on the back of on the side of a DVD, or DVD of a VHS. Sure, sure. And uh, I remember watching it a few times. I think the thing I liked the most about it as a kid, though, was everything with the baby cow. And we'll get into that in the spoilers, but... You already spoiled it. There's a baby cow in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and horses we already talked about that too damn and there's an old man <laughs> great uh is there anything in your history that would color your judgment about this movie no i mean like i said i barely remembered it uh you know maybe my judgment was what a forgettable movie because i watched it once and i didn't remember a dang thing about it and it never would have occurred to me like i said earlier to even watch city slickers ever again 
Okay. So, so that colored my judgment. What about you, Veronica? Yeah, I think that mine was colored a little bit in favor of City Slickers because I remembered it being so great. And I just, I knew it was, you know, something that I loved from my childhood. So, yeah, maybe. I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle uh, that I, I remembered the basic plot outline of the movie, but I didn't remember any of the details or the jokes. So I think I'm as close to as a, a middle of the road, I think, as we've got going on this right now. Tell us about your most recent watching experience. Um, how was that, Veronica? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I thought that the opening credits were really long, excruciatingly long. I <laughs> enjoyed them so much as a kid. And boy, I, I should have timed it because I felt like I was going on minute three of that. And I was like, this is not okay. You got to start the damn movie. <laughs> you don't. You don't see movies with like an overture at the beginning too much anymore but that's exactly what this yeah. was yeah i agree except with tarantino because he just does what he wants well, he, he's yeah he's beholden to no one I, but i also <laughs> wonder if that's if were there i know that people have constantly criticized how many more um previews there are in front of a movie now mm. as opposed to last time and i wonder if that was really just a hey go get your popcorn we've got the credits rolling ahead of time yeah i don't know hmm yeah hmm Interesting. I mean, I don't want to pretend like, what, like there's any logic to anything that's happened, but <laughs> that seems reasonable to me. Well, that was the most noticeable thing about this watch through, though, was the length of the credits. Well, I mean, other than that. Other than the spoilers. Other section, than spoilings. I think so, maybe. I mean, that that I guess that's the first thing that I really noticed about it. Um, I don't know. I shouldn't. I, I feel like everything else I'm going to say is going to be spoilery. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. And we know you watched it with your yeah. daughter, so there's that, too. So For sure. All right, sure. Mike. Uh, uh, how about your latest viewing? Uh, well, I watched it with my wife because it was. Uh, we tend to do a lot of science fiction and well and things like that, and my wife really isn't into that, but she doesn't begrudge it from me. Uh, she just doesn't like to watch it, so I watch it separately. But you know, this is a movie that she could get behind, uh, especially since she used to watch uh, westerns with her dad. Although she has the opposite feeling for like a legit, like straight up western, because her dad just like that's all she ever watched. But mm. this was okay because it was there so it was a good experience uh lots of popcorn and lasagna i think <laughs> so <laughs> what about you pete uh well i had uh i watched it this morning as of this recording and uh my wife and son joined me very shortly after it started so there was a bit of a distraction issue there um <laughs> but um yeah i watched it and i didn't know what to think about it while i was watching it but i know what i think of it now <laughs> oh good well don't spoil that. That's the end. Certainly not. If we spoil it now, there's no show. Yeah. You can just pack up and go home, people. All right. So let's get on to the spoiler section. Okay. So now is the time of the podcast that we spoil the hell out of this movie, which means if you want to go watch it before you listen to us talk about it, you should pause the podcast right now and do that. We'll wait right here for you. And when you come back, you can press play. Welcome back. You were quick. <laughs> Either that or you didn't care, in which case, that's fine too. We love you. You and your rule-breaking ways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As is traditional on Sacred Cows, we are going to do the elevator pitch to get all of the main overarching plot out of the way. We've already done an off-screen argument about who's going to do that, and it's between Mike and Pete. Oh, so I, I say feel bad. We do an all... I'll... Okay. I'll do it. 
Are, are you sure of you want to do it? Peer pressure. Come on. Yeah. Peer pressure. Oh. It yeah. works. Yay. High Woo-hoo. five. There's, there's your PSA. Peer pressure. It works. I was going to say we could roll a D6. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> My mind went there too. So. Oh, actually, I feel okay, like that's so. a really good idea. You should do that. <laughs> okay. Do you yeah. have one? Uh, I always I have one. I think I have one. You have one? All right, let's let's roll. Our friends at Cthulhu and Friends are always ready with the D6. That's right. <laughs> Day or night. I'll take one and two. I'll take three and four. And that leaves me with five and six. Four. Oh, it's me. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, if you suck at it, we can always pick up your slack. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> isn't that how it always goes? <laughs> you forgot this. You forgot this. All right. So here's what City Slickers is. City Slickers is Billy Crystal and his three, his two friends, sorry, all of them having simultaneous uh, sympathy midlife crises, basically. And they, they're doing it very well. They're, they're globetrotting with this midlife crisis. They seem to go on a lot of trips to just do daredevil type stuff. And the latest thing is that they are going to head out to New Mexico to um, drive cattle across the state to Colorado and um, hijinks, of course, because Billy Crystal and it's a comedy movie. But um, they meet up with Jack Palance, the grizzled old man who uh, helps them with their drive. And then things just start to happen. Uh, he dies, Jack Palance, that is. The uh, other cow hands are a bunch of drunken, sexist assholes. And they leave. And eventually it's just up to Billy and his two bros to get those cattle the rest of the way to their destination, all while waxing lyrical and philosophical about the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> that works. That's perfect. That was great. That was way better than I would have done. That's, that's what it is. That's what the movie yeah. is. It's, oh. a, it's a philosophy textbook disguised as a Western comedy. But aren't all Westerns. Yeah. There's a lot of introspection in yeah. those movies, I must say. If they do a remake, it should be a samurai movie because all samurai movies are also westerns. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> Could call it, uh, oh, geez, I don't know. A Tok- city is slickers. Tokyo slickers, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Akihabara salarymen at a dude ranch. <laughs> There's your pitch. You call it sushi slickers or something. There you sushi go. Slickers. God. That sounds like the, another sushi porn parody. Anyway. I mean, I'm not saying it's Absolutely. not, but. <laughs> <laughs> it will be soon. Okay. You can make a call. All right. So, All right. Midlife Crisis the Movie is what I got out of Midlife it. Crisis the Bath Towel. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I did not even realize that this was a Midlife Crisis movie until I was watching it. I was like, oh. This movie was meant for someone who is 40-ish. <laughs> right, right. Right. Why did you like it so much as a kid? Yeah, I had the same feeling. 10-year-old, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think they really got me in the beginning of the movie because they have uh this party that Billy Crystal has with his friends and stuff, and it's all broken apart by this uh, cashier that comes in and tells his friend Phil 
that she's pregnant. And maybe that was my hook because one, pregnant was a bad word. And it was just dirty. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she said the P word. And Lisa Simpson got knocked up. Yeah, I was just totally flabbergasted when I heard that. And so maybe it was just the bad girl in me that was like, yeah, I'm going to watch City Slickers. Is this before or after Ghostbusters 2? That was 1991 also, wasn't it? I must know. In this day and age, anyway, you never the, have to the, wonder. The girl about that anything. was knocked up was also uh, the in the psychic uh, with with P- oh, Peter no Venkman. She yeah. was the psychic one. No kidding. Yeah. I remember her from another movie as a kid that I was watching behind the. Ca- I used to sneak into uh, to the living room to watch movies behind the couch, so it was just my head poking out. So I watched a lot of really bad <laughs> stuff, and uh, I remember her from another movie where she used really bad language, and I was like. That woman has a mouth. <laughs> uh, dang. Ghostbusters 2 is 1989. So, yes, I remembered her yeah. from that. Okay. It, really? It was 1989. Huh. I mm. had that wrong. The pacing was good enough for a kid, and I think that's where my memory comes from on this. Although... It's, it's broken up enough that the there's some boring adult stuff that we wouldn't understand, like the conversation between the husband and the wife as 10-year-olds, you know? Or, right. But... But I, I definitely, I don't know about that pacing thing because it feels like it takes them forever to actually get to this ranch where the the action of the movie really starts. But it I starts think. out so strong with the running of the bulls. I mean, I just remember, ha, 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 he got hit in the ass. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I have to kind of agree with Pete on the pacing of the movie because I remember thinking, like, all right, they're going to get to the dude ranch right away. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess maybe in the 90s there was more setup. (laughs) And so I really feel like they really did a great job in conveying how depressed Billy Crystal was with his life. Mm. And I really felt like they took enough time so that we all felt depressed with him. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And I, he, he plays a good sad yeah. set, surprisingly. Yeah. But I but, I really felt yeah. like the whole uh journey through actually driving cattle was really short. Not long enough. No, no. But but and that's what you think of when you think of this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, that's what you remember. Don't get me wrong, as a kid I probably would have hated that, but I liked the wind up about exploring the three different kinds of midlife crises that are happening, basically. You've got um well, you've got marriage Bill, falling apart. Billy Crystal, he he seems like he has good um, family life and that kind of thing, but he hates his job. He says in the movie, like, I feel like this is the best I'm ever going to do. This is as good as I'm ever going to feel, and it ain't that great. I thought that summed it up real nice. He's just kind of stuck in a rut. Yeah. Like, and who worse forever. to say that to you than Pop Pop from Arrested Development, you know? I know, oh. right? <laughs> like, no, Looking Pop very Pop. young. <laughs> absolutely good cameo there but then his his other two friends like you said yeah uh uh jeff daniels banged lisa simpson and his marriage to like a freaking howitzer fell apart and he lost his job and he lost everything so he's starting over and then his other friend is the perpetual womanizer who like seemingly has it all i mean he's married to a 24 year old underwear model and that's just not good enough for him so the never satisfied you know kind of guy so i guess i would consider that the three kinds of midlife crisis yeah or at least mm-hmm. the ones represented in this movie so i like that as i was saying as an adult uh whereas as a kid i'm sure i wouldn't have given two craps about any of yeah. that just get to the ranch 
Right. As a kid, the thing I would remember most is, uh, you know, Curly killing the snake and, and things like that. Did anybody remember Curly being in this movie more than he actually was? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I was shocked when he died. I was like, what? Really? Is Ten minutes? Yeah, like halfway <laughs> through the movie. And he know? only had like 15 minutes of screen yeah. time. Like total. Yeah. Absolutely. 15 awesome minutes of screen time, but still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he delivered most of the memorable lines of this film in that 15 minutes, uh, you know, and he is, I think, one of the more memorable parts of the film. But he I was so surprised when when he was there and then just as quickly he wasn't. It was like, wow. Yeah, I completely agree. And let, let it be, let's just put this out there. Mike Myers stole Curly's joke for Fat Bastard. Curly says, I crap bigger than you. Fat Bastard says, I've got chunks of corn in my crap bigger than you. Oh, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> well, Mike, you know, in, in all of existence, there's only like 12 jokes out there. That's They're tr- all just variations yeah. of each other. That's true. <laughs> that, that's how I justify my plagiarism. Yeah, I mean, you just, you just so. tapped into the poop stream, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's right. It's all scatological. <laughs> Let the diarrhea show. <laughs> I noticed that the lines in this movie were very good and they i thought that the jokes were funny and the quotes about you know what's the meaning of life and all that were very uh thought provoking but i can't remember a damn one of any of them i'm having trouble thinking of anything i can really quote from this movie just because it happened and then as soon as i wasn't watching it anymore it's like now what the hell did they say it wasn't as funny as i thought like laugh out loud gut bustingly funny as i thought it would be when i when we just come into it it was way more poignant than than i think funny our heroes our sensible heroes were in danger you know mortal danger there was moments where uh really bad things happened one of the things that i notice specifically is that uh disney stole the lion king simba during the antelope rush or whatever from Billy Crystal mm-hmm. because Billy Crystal is hanging from this tiny little tree while you know someone some big imposing figure is watching him and all of these cattle are going by him and I was like oh my god he's Simba <laughs> you know from the Lion King <laughs> and I thought that was the weirdest thing but there were just so many Another moments thing. of watching um, the frailty of human life and the human psyche in this movie it was really kind of uh, yeah, we, we see some rather heavy moments like on screen breakdowns that, you know, they're not comical. It's like, you know, these people are struggling with, you know, their lives, you know, they're just they're not sure if they're happy. And, you know, like, I mean, for crying out loud, they go on the trip in the first place and Billy Crystal is either contemplating adultery or suicide. Yeah, you know? right. Like, I'll take whichever one I want, you know, whichever one comes First. You know, the, the whole three guys with different midlife crisis things, you learn more about that is they've been stuck in a rut since, like, they were children. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, you've got the extreme guy, which is the sporting good guy, and you find out, like, you know, he was, his his dad was abusive. Yeah, he had a terrible uh, childhood. Yeah, but but that made him do, like, all these, want to do all these extreme stunts and stuff, and he dragged his friends with him. You have the bullied guy, who's the classical bullied, like, bullied in high school, bullied by... Uh, wife, wife, you know, he just father in law. He, right. He's never broke the cycle. And then you've got Billy Crystal, who sort of represents the everyman. He's he's the the guy who's just generally sort of led a, a mild mannered, middle of the road life. Yeah, he's 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 in the rat race for the long but haul. But they've all been that since they were kids, and this is the first thing that they've ever done that's ever 
sort of help them break that cycle. Well, Despite going on all these grand adventures all the time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, this is this is the first time where it actually really worked for is them. Is this like Reaganomics basically. like in its in its heyday like the after effects of this because I don't understand how men that are in their 40s with families are going on these extravagant vacations just frequently and together. It, that was kind of a, a part of the movie mm-hmm. where I was just like I don't believe this. This I can't suspend belief to believe that all of these guys just randomly have vacations They're, together. <laughs> right. Their wives are green lighting all yeah. of these uh, expensive trips, you know, yeah. and, and going with them. Strangely. It didn't feel like he, that any of them should be wealthy enough for this. Mm-hmm. You know, in Hollywood and in, in, in TV shows, you always see it, you know, the perpetually, you know, like, I'm broke, I'm poor, I have no money and my job sucks. And then they're doing all these really expensive things like, you know, flying to Spain and, you know, taking uh, probably weeks off of work to go drive cattle. Like if I was like, I'm going to go drive cattle for five weeks, uh, they'd be like, well, you just don't come back. Yeah. This movie definitely would be really hard, harder to pull off. Mm. I, I I think we mentioned it, Gremlins, the Gremlins episode, the family that should be horribly impoverished with the uh, stay-at-home mom and the in, the failed inventor for oh, the breadwinner. Yeah. How come they live in such a nice house and have all this great stuff? And That's it's like, true. Thanks, Reagan. Yeah. So we've also got some other some other big uh, characters that are sort of on this journey with them. They don't end up being. I mean, they're not big characters, as in they're they're big to the story. But we have there are other characters that are just trying to generally have a good time. Uh, you get varying degrees of change between them. You have uh, the Ben and Jerry analog, which honestly, I do not remember the characters' names. Oh, it's uh, Ira and Barry. Oh, right. Ira and Barry. The Ira and the Barry? Ira and Barry. Yeah. The Ira and Barry. <laughs> For sure. And I want to say those characters are in the movie very, they, they don't have a lot of screen time. They mostly just stand around gawking in the background. And they were kind of just there to set up they're that schlub- single joke. They're schlubby the comic release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, th- I mean, they they didn't feel like they needed to be there. And then you have you have um, the two father and son dentists mm-hmm. who are black who talk about that mm-hmm. and it is kind of it is a funny a funny thing. They sort of do take a journey in the movie where they're like you know they're basically mild mannered dentists and they kind of actually sort of subscribe to the same sort of cowboy change that. Um, our main protagonists do as well. Absolutely. Just to a lesser degree. Well, I think actually to a greater degree, they actually saved a person's life. Whereas True. these other guys just drove a bunch of cattle to Colorado to the slaughterhouse, you know? So. Yeah. That's true. And, and I, I did like their characters because um, you, you notice that the son was kind of sort of like a, a downer kind of mm-hmm. character. and the, He was and the, a politically correct youthful individual which i don't know if anything was more politically correct than the early 90s so right. he, he was right in there and his dad kind of like rebukes him for it oh, a know? lot a lot for different things but then like you know uh basically how are we supposed to save him we're dentists well you are a doctor right yeah. there's that yeah you have medical training yeah so um and then of course there's the lone female character uh well, Wait, okay. There's no. there's obviously the female characters in, earlier in the movie, but the there's the spouses, lone, yeah. right? Yeah, the lone female character on the drive. Mm-hmm. I think you mean the lone female skinny blonde character in mom jeans. So, right. 
who feels like maybe I shouldn't go on a cattle drive in the wilderness with a bunch of strange men. Yeah. And since I watched this two weeks ago, I do not know what the word I put her name. Oh, what is her name? Oh, I it's didn't another, not Helen. Another actress that I don't. Uh, it's Patricia Wedig. Was that? Yeah, her? I looked her up on IMDb and I was just like, ugh, this is all completely no, forgettable. It's Helen. It's Helen Slater. That's the character name. No? No, that's that's the actress's name. See, it's it's another oh. one of those persons who was famous in a bygone era, but now you've not you've not seen her, yeah. you know, at all. I guess she was Supergirl in 1984, but But let's talk about female uh issues with this movie. Right. She is the target of just a lot of sexual harassment. Basically. A lot. I mean, like all the sexual harassment that happens in the movie and it's pretty it's pretty consistent i would say and pretty pretty brutal for a comedy yeah i absolutely I mean, agree i don't think that anything like that would pass nowadays in a comedy i just i don't think you could get a get an approval on that what's something you really just don't see no. anymore and it must have been somewhat common i mean well okay you probably do see it but you definitely don't see it in entertainment because i think society thinks the problem has been rooted out hmm. but it hasn't no it certainly hasn't you nope. just don't see it represented anymore where it appears that in this era it would have been more like acceptable to show this happening well and i think one of the so. most disappointing things about that portrayal is that you know, she's being sexually harassed by these two cowboys uh, that are, I guess, consistently drunk or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about that, but consistently drunk and in charge of a tourist cattle drive. And she just kind of played this damsel in distress for her. I mean, she never mm -hmm. really spoke up for herself. And her wandering eyes were always to you know our three dudes and it was just kind of upsetting i was just like come on just say something you know don't take that shit <laughs> or right. stuff no she's definitely waiting for somebody to come to her rescue yeah. basically and that certainly right. wouldn't and happen in 2016 <laughs> oh and the way that i mean the the direct way that um the other characters are like talking about her is is just completely sexist oh my too. Gosh. you know even billy crystal character character mitch is not um He's not talking about, like, I wouldn't cheat with her because it's the right thing to do or wouldn't sleep with her, you know, because it's, you know what I mean? Get, mm -hmm. He's not doing it because it's right. He's doing it because he would get caught. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know? they, they say women always know. Right. Yeah. And it's not like she was overtly like, uh huh, yeah. Yeah. She, like, says hi to him and he's like, I'm married, see? Yeah. So yeah. quit your feminine wiles. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stop using your feminine wiles against my weak male brain. I feel like that was, it, and I feel like maybe that's one of the things that's so upsetting because it's being reiterated now in, you know, politics where we had like Donald Trump who was like, oh yeah, well all of the women that have ever been on The Apprentice have flirted with me, which I get, you expect it and it's nice. It's like, dude, come on. And I feel like that I got that same thing from this movie where it was just, she said hello and that was flirting and it's so upsetting. Right. <laughs> so some heavy themes there and it's definitely definitely times like that in this movie where i was just like this isn't really a comedy mm -hmm. i'm not you know i'm not chuckling that much i'm more just like being slammed with heavy social issues <laughs> right yeah my daughter Excuse was me. actually sick the day that we watched this and so she was laying on top of me while we were watching the movie and all this is happening and i look down and she's fallen asleep and i was just oh thank god <laughs> <laughs> yeah just for the best yeah. 
so yeah and then you have i mean you have curly as the only uh person who sort of stood up for her well just because you know as a business owner you don't harass the customers yeah. <laughs> you know basically i mean i'm not saying that he doesn't have a heart of gold he probably, that's kind of the implication know. is that he would if anybody was in a situation of being bullied he would have stepped up because he's him he, he bullies for good for, yeah. for justice basically but, <laughs> but it is it's it's sad that she didn't, you know, defend herself and that nobody else... Well, I mean, Mitch's character stepped up, but not for the right reasons, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I just think it's negligent as a business owner to employ people That like are drunk that, all the time, that are at the drunk very least. and harass the customers, <sighs> and then you expect them to be responsible for their safety. Yeah, around, uh, what, like, that. hundreds of 2,000-pound animals <laughs> with yeah, horns. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Those those guys were particularly assholes, I have to say. That the the scene here's another this isn't a comedy moment when they put the revolver in the little baby calves mouth. Yeah. yeah. Like oh what is God. going on right here? That was awful. Like, geez. Yeah, I know, right? It's just like, oh boy. I mean the movie did a really great job of demonizing them, but probably I didn't need that. <laughs> They might have went a little too far. It was a bit over the top, certainly. But it, it, you know, it gave Billy Crystal his opportunity to, you know, use humor to disarm them. Basically, I mean, he was always doing that in the movie. If he needed to stand up to somebody, it wasn't like he just went up to him and went like, "Hey, bastard!" You know, shut up and that kind of stuff. He'd just go up and he'd start cracking wise. He'd be like, "Oh, little calf, are you bothering the cowboys again?" Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, that that whole scene made me feel uncomfortable. It just it's something you don't see that I, much anymore. I'm you, I mean you you don't see you, sexual harassment and violence you know, implied violence against animals in the media anymore basically. Yeah. Well, at that at and all. people that are being held hostage by two drunk guys with a gun is really sad. I mean, I felt really bad for all of the people that were in the tent because I mean, now you're dealing with like, oh man, people do not respond well to any kind of terrorist threat and here we go. We have these people that are trapped by dudes with guns, and it was really mm-hmm. sc- it was scary for them, and it was not great. I don't know. It wasn't a great choice then. I don't think it's a great choice now. Daniel Stern got shot, didn't he? I don't know if he got shot, but he uh, he ends up taking the gun away from one of oh, the right. drunk guys. And he ends up shooting it after. No, he ends up just taking it. He just takes yeah. the gun and. I'm sorry. Gives it's, it's been a two very, weeks. Two weeks very, since I watched it. A, again, a heavy monologue about you know how bullying takes away your dignity and you know it's just again you know it, it was another it was kind of a little preachy moment but you know another one of those uh, message yeah you know that comes out in the movie. We've talked a lot about the bad things. Yeah, and, and <laughs> we've it, been pretty down so far. I don't want to overplay the the bad things. I mean, there were some there were some things that don't fly in movies nowadays, basically. But I found them to be pretty minor overall, and only upon deeper introspe- introspection. Like I wasn't actively disgusted with these things while I was watching the movie, except for the cast. Some thing. of them actively disgusted me, but I got past it i was disgusted when billy crystal was up to his elbows in like you know cow birth <laughs> you know and flicking, <laughs> flicking it towards the camera and stuff like that it was like what yeah apparently that's all animatronics no way yeah, yeah really <laughs> one of the probably few special effects of the film too huh i uh-huh. mean this movie didn't rely on cheap tricks it was you know actors on horses well and i think one of the sad things is uh so i was 
born and raised in Texas, and we raised cattle for a very long time. And so in the in the film, they have this cow birth, and I remember it being pretty accurate as far as the the ooginess of what happens. But then the cow that came out was not the same breed as the cow that was <laughs> yes. that had been laying in. My wife pointed that out too. You can do that nowadays. Oh though. No. No. no, it was really bad, and I just it really hurt the movie for me because I was like, well, why didn't you just get a big cow that looked like that? Yeah, <laughs> this one's cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's uh, something that only a professional cattle. Uh, person would know, I guess. <laughs> Apparently, that that cow went on to star in a bunch of other movies where they needed a cow too. Not even joking. Oh, Look at that. I was really... really wondering about that too. I thought, oh, uh, this because it's the same like Borden cow or whatever. I don't know, but yeah, yeah I I wondered the, about that. The, huh. the 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 farmer that had him, he was an acting acting cow after this movie and did seven hundred fifty dollars uh, an hour for the movies no. he was in. And he was in, like, in Babe and everything else like no! that. Wow. You know? <laughs> no kidding. That's a famous cow. That is a sacred cow right there. <laughs> Good, yeah, absolutely. We should just do a Norman episode. Oh, I did like the Norman sort of become, you know, the the uh, adopted road son of Billy Crystal, sure, yeah, you know? He's... Every scene, except the scary one, was that he was in was pretty cute. And, and you know, he's sort of like the... The little pet and stuff. Yeah, but he was a damsel in distress too. Well, I mean, getting swept away by the river and all that kind I, of stuff. That I think that it was, yeah. I, it's fine. He's an animal. I'm just being. I funny. think that it kind of played into you know Curly's. Hey, you got to find that one thing. The secret of life is that one thing, and then you don't give a shit about anything else. And I think that while Billy Crystal or Mitch was on the trail, that one thing was Norman, and Norman being represented mm-hmm. as this thing that had lost everything and needed him that was you know that represented his family and their Mm -hmm. people that needed him and so that kind of transitioned over to him understanding what his family meant to him and how important they were so i i felt like that was a i don't know maybe too heavily veiled because i didn't really get that uh until i was really thinking about it afterwards and i was just like well maybe but you know i could just be reading a lot into it no, I, I, that's what I, I got out of I it, too. I think that sounds legit, and I'm only getting that now, so yeah. No, but, I, that's what I was thinking, too, that Norman was the one thing, and the one thing is his family, and he sort of adopted Norman right mm-hmm. away. Right, right. He and, became part of the family. And that's, I think, why Palance got the Oscar for that performance as Curly. Um, and, and sort of the message of the movie is, you know, for, for Mitch, that was the one thing. The important <laughs> thing about that is that... Um, Norman is the sole survivor of the herd because, yeah, uh, yeah. It, seriously. I mean, so this is, I think, kind of a something that dates the movie too. That everybody is all shocked and taken aback by the fact that oh, all these cows are just going to the meat processing plant now. And of course, the uh, the guy says, "Well, where do you think the stuff in the supermarket comes from?" Which you know, I I get that. Um, you know, it's the circle of. Oh shoot, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Stop within 29 seconds and you're good. <laughs> but, but then nothing happens. I mean, they're all just like, oh, no, really? What? And then it didn't need... Yes, it became a Dylan Ted movie from that. Like, no way. No way. <laughs> but, but it was never like, um, it was never explored then. It's like, yes, so the implication is that all those cows are dead and nobody did anything to stop them or try and save them. It didn't need to be said. I don't think that that needed to be thrown into the movie. It seemed superfluous. 
No, basically, I, it, like it, it wouldn't have had to been that way. The cows could have all lived happily on the ranch forever, and, and Norman could have come never home. had to known. Yeah, it was like an extra thing to just like take Norman home. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making a stabbing motion. <laughs> Maybe they just felt that the movie wasn't heavy enough yet, but they're like, oh, we're, we're also going to kill all these cows. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I didn't know a vegetarian until after I saw that movie. So maybe Slitty Slickers uh, was the thing that just caused a surge of vegetarianism. Who knows? <laughs> it, it, you know, it shines a light on the fact that people from the city, you know, don't really equate, you know, animal killing with how they get their burgers. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I've spent a little time on farms and it, it makes you think twice when you realize, you know, what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I've cut a few deer. I know where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we used to raise our own meat. And so it was uh, one of those things where you had a very, um, a very deep respect for the animal that had, you know, filled up the freezer for the entire winter. So it was, a, it was kind of a sure. big deal. Very up close and personal for you. Yeah. There, huh? Let's talk coyly. So this curly is seriously more badass than the three stooges version. Yeah. Certainly. I have to say, in fact, I've never seen anybody, more badass than this is this where the striking the match on your chin stubble comes Ooh. from the iconic cowboy moment or whatever yeah. you know i just i, I want to know about i don't that. feel like you're a real man until you've done that it's just <laughs> <laughs> well my peach fuzz isn't lighting anything on fire i'll tell you that I'm, I'm, yeah i could get away with it right i thought it's great mm. uh w- one of the only quotes that i uh wrote down when i was watching this movie was he was the toughest man I've seen in my life, which was from Mitch. Billy Crystal was like, yeah, he, he really is. Represents, embodies, you know, mess around with this guy. He shits bigger yeah. than you. He shits bigger than him. <laughs> That's saying something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I already said it, but a lot of he he kind of helps the main character find his smile again with his advice and you know, he's a good guy. He comes to the rescue of uh, the damsel in distress, you know, whether or not that's politically correct, but he does it. And, um, you know, a lot of the lines, the, I, I would say a lot of the comedy of the movie comes from him because mm-hmm. his lines are a little less on the serious side, I well, would say. Yeah, and sometimes he's not even saying a line. Like the whole comedy of the scene of uh, the the stampede when Billy Crystal's making his coffee is Curly just sitting there and watching sure. and just smiling and laughing mm-hmm. at the whole stupid city folk that are... Right. And obviously they're going to get these cows under control, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, as a guy who works basically at a dude ranch catering to city slickers, he sure has a lot of disdain for them. <laughs> well, not, not disdain, but it's like, are you really surprised that they're acting this way? Because you've been doing this for how many decades and do they ever really well, change? Well, but I wonder if he does it now because this is his only opportunity. You remember, he says that he's a dying breed. And so the mm-hmm. only way that he's actually going to do these cattle drives is by doing it for tourists because there are other ways to transport cattle now that are so much more economical so sure. this is his only way out. It's like, you know, sometimes you got to go and ride a roller coaster twice because your kids are too small to ride. And, you know, it's <laughs> they're annoying. And why did you even bring them here? But <laughs> <laughs> well, after this is his speech about the one thing when him and Mitch are on the trail together. And if you think about it, you know, Mitch asked him about him being in love and stuff like that. The one thing for Curly is the hurt, you know, is the. The drive, bringing bring, the herd, being the cowboy, home, yep. you know that's for him. He 
his falling in love. Yes, he he fell in love from afar. He saw a girl. She yeah, was he, very pretty. He tells the most cowboy story yeah, ever about but, this one girl he saw 30 but years he, ago. He also he that was enough for him. And that's his point about the one thing is that, you know, he thought about what his life would be like if he fell in love with her. And as much as, you know, he was would have liked to approach her, the one thing for him is the drive still. And so he chose to go for that one thing. Mm. That and he would have had to talk to a girl. Yeah. Yikes, right? Zoinks. Well, there's me. There might be that too. I don't know. <laughs> just projecting what what I was interpreting. As yeah, I don't. Scene. I don't think cattle drivers are known for being uh, extroverts too much, but he thought she was pretty. Mm-hmm. But then I wonder, Shucks, like, ma'am. is this just another sexist thing in the movie where it's mm. just, oh well, I would have talked to her and immediately she would have fallen in love with me. I would have ruined her life, you know. <laughs> just well, maybe yeah, she's right. maybe she's not into cowboys. <laughs> yeah, maybe she likes lawyers yeah. or doctors. Hmm. Or ladies. Or, or maybe yeah. like a guy mm. her age, because I just imagined that he's always looked like that from birth. Yeah, that's how he looked when he was 20. Absolutely. Yeah. He came out of the womb and he was leather. Yeah. <laughs> he, he lit a match I, on his stubble and was like, I'm here, mom. I actually did see a, uh, a photo of him while I was doing my research oh, yeah. from, from his a 20s. young him and he's like, his, yeah. He still looks grizzled, yep. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> well, I mean, geez, the dude was a coal miner, a boxer, you know, uh, uh Military pilot. I mean, he's, he's Jack Palance has seen some shit. Jack Palance <laughs> is cool is cooler than Curly, yes. and Curly's pretty damn cool. I think he serves as you know. Again, he wasn't in the movie very long, but he's still one of the more memorable things about it, and so that's Oscar worthy, I guess. Well, and I think one of the <laughs> things that the movies did well, in addition to Curly, was they had, a, and maybe this is why I was attracted to it as a kid, is because the pacing of really funny moments. Like I don't know that we talked about this yet, but was uh, I really love makeover montages, and we had a cowboy <laughs> makeover montage. Yes, that was I thought good. that yeah, was great, sure, sure. and I love the part Absolutely. with the uh, Ira and Barry like. Give me, give me a challenge because he can apparently match any flavor profile to your dinner for ice cream or whatever. Yes. And I thought that was so funny. And I remember doing that with my cousin, you know, like, just tell me what you think. Oh, a vanilla with strawberry sauce or whatever. But because that was the only don't ice cream I ever Don't waste my time. Had. Yeah, don't waste my time with that kid yeah. stuff. <laughs> I, I think that the movie did a really good job of pacing those funny um, just little moments throughout the movie that was already very heavy. And I think that's what made yes. it palatable for a younger audience, for sure. They're, they're just like the... They're definitely there, the funny mm-hmm. moments, certainly. Oh, I, I love the... I mean, it was the classic Bugs Bunny cartoon uh, moment when the first night they're all sitting around and, and, and talking, uh, and they're talking about Curly, you know, and how he diffused the situation and Billy Crystal talking about Curly being like a psychopath and blah, 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 as Curly walks closer. And the classic Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. line, like, he's right behind me. He would have held up a yes. sign that said, exclamation point, <laughs> if it was a cartoon. I'm yeah, like, right? this is stolen directly from Warner Bros. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. There's only 12 jokes out there, Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Certainly. No. Um, we have to get to 13, guys. Right. Before we die. I mean, how much these guys clearly care about each other. Uh, and they, they, they brought a lot of those humorous moments with each other, uh, you know, uh, but they also could bring the heavy stuff, you know, talking about the best and worst days where you find out really they haven't been stuck in a midlife crisis. They've been stuck in a life crisis. Right. Since, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's absolutely true. And, you know, I guess as guys who in their late 30s and have been together 
for most of that time they can have those big deep heavy conversations i mean like that's that's not how me and you know my friends make small talk with each other now i've never been on a cattle drive with anybody so who knows but um yeah. oh we'd be talking about D on a yeah i'd be yeah. like okay roll a d20 <laughs> i once went on a mud run horse. that i found to be completely excruciating and so the only other person that was with me was another nerd and i was like hey do we want to just pretend like we're rangers tracking someone so that i can get through this and that i think is what a cattle drive would be for me it's just Absolutely. pretending to be some D&D character. Well, I think you you have to pass the time somehow if it's, I don't know how long their cattle drive was, but they said 200 miles, so that takes a while on horseback, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> My wife, who has lots of experience uh, riding horses, basically said, yeah, if you took these guys who had never ridden a horse in their life and they were riding horse like one day they mm-hmm. basically would be invalids for the rest yes. of <laughs> for like Broken five pelvises, more. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah they'd go home and sit on an ice pack for a week yeah they were also <laughs> like springy and live and i was just like that is not what happens your back hurts your ass uh-huh. hurts yeah no kidding yeah you don't, you don't look fresh all no. day after riding a horse for no it, e- it, even a short amount of time it, it takes it takes years for the for cowboys like mm-hmm. that to to get used to that but and we then, didn't have years we just had however long the running length of this film <laughs> which felt like years <laughs> the relationships uh go beyond just the three amigos though the relationship that uh I'm just going to keep using actor names that Billy Crystal has with his wife appears to be a very um, egalitarian or uh, type of a, you know, it's not like that he's the breadwinner and she's right. the demure housewife. They are definitely partners, uh, yes. which, which that was good. It is, you know, it has been the case throughout the ages, you know, to one degree or another, but it's not often represented that well in uh film yeah i I agree it was a very progressive relationship especially for the 90s in film for sure their big marital problem was probably just that he was kind of a depressed guy and she was able to say okay here's a guy who possibly could do something incredibly stupid and destroy our marriage but i'm gonna send him off with his friends and hopefully he can he can heal you know have a healing and it, excursion with yeah them. and i think what a great relationship that his wife has with his friends because how often would the, this movie could have gone a completely different way obviously if mm-hmm. she was like oh no those guys always get you in trouble they talk you into things and you know but she really just trusts these guys to go out on a vacation together and you know not screw up irrevocably mm-hmm. with no apparent reason to since he just had his ass like, yeah. tore a new one literally <laughs> in the last vacation yeah. he took yeah let's let's send him on another one of these i yeah, want right. to sell ad time on a new york radio station with all the vacation just so great <laughs> <laughs> Mitch and Curly, they have great on-screen chemistry, too. So that's probably the best special effect of this movie is just the people, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I know that's not good radio, but I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, vociferously disagree with me. <laughs> the best special effect was all the gel that was on that that little cow when they pulled him out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was that, anyway? Glycerin something? No, that was... Apparently, environmentally animal-safe fake birthing gel is what I read. Yeah. And I'm like, really? <laughs> no cars, no cows were actually harmed in the making of this film. It was, it was corn syrup. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Oh, there was one dated reference I wanted to point out that uh, if any of you had watched this movie that uh, were not growing up in the '90s, 
you wouldn't understand anymore. Yeah, VHS, right? How? <laughs> well, other than us talking about that, they they probably know about VHS as like, well, it's like the hip like record. Wow. <laughs> I'm making fun of some of our audiences. Was that like an uh, eight track or something? Yeah, uh, no, I'm talking about a Kodak moment. Ah, <gasps> uh, it's a Kodak oh. moment. Yes. Yes, and of course, every time I see that, I write it down. They use it in so many movies because Kodak was like, hey, use it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a discount on that film reel you're using there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kodak doesn't exist anymore Kodak for all intents and purposes. Exist. Yeah. Uh, but, but if you were alive when we were, you remember the it's a Kodak moment uh, slogan, certainly. There were some things that dated this movie. The programming of the VCR, yeah. which, you know... Still mystifies me, but glad I don't have to worry about that anymore. The exchanging of uh, seats on the airplane. Right, right, yeah. People are just walking around looking shifty and shady yeah. on this airplane like crazy. You can't, you know, you've you got to think if it's even wise to get up to go to the Airplanes that sometimes. look comfortable. Yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely. People probably getting food that they didn't have to pay for. The two cow pokes who are uh, harassing our female character who, like, they get accused of not getting with the 90s for being such, you know, oh, jerk. Yeah. They're like, that's not a very 90s attitude of you guys to have or something like that. It's yes. Just... Note to self, when I write my movie, I will not say the decade that we're actually in. No. no. <laughs> Unless you're writing <laughs> a movie that's like in the 70s and then A-OK. Totally fine. Yeah, that's right. A pastiche. But um, I thought as far as the fashions and the hair and that kind of stuff go, that's usually where I start to roll my eyes and say, God, you can tell what month in 1991 it is. Mm. But they did all right. I mean, it seemed... This is more generic. It's more generic. It's toned down. And they spend most of the movie uh, wearing what I would call Northwood-style gear, you know, plaid shirts, jeans, <laughs> stuff that, you know, you know... It's high fashion in Wisconsin. <laughs> I tell you that. So, so yeah, I felt like the only yeah. hair Relatable. things were uh, Mitch's daughter, where she had that crazy poofy hair in a weird shoulder padded yeah. shirt. But she's in the movie for yes. all of thirty seconds, if that. Right, right. That's because she's no Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, you know boy. what I mean? <laughs> you know, before I knew that that was Jake Gyllenhaal, I legit thought. Boy, that brother and sister look like they pr they really are related to each other. They looked so close, but of course they're not. No, no it wasn't it Maggie Jill Hall. Was the other. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, uh, I think let's call it good on the spoilers and move on to the decision. So now we have come to our section where we're going to decide if this movie is sacred, bovinus sanctorum, or if it should be put out to pasture. Bovinus excommunicado. Or maybe I should have said uh, sold for hamburger. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How about driven across two states and then uh, sent to the meat plant? Oh. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we talked off camera again, and we decided that you, the viewer, are going first. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, our esteemed guest, Veronica, has volunteered to go first. And tell us what she thinks. It's very brave of you. Uh, well, that's very on brand for me. <laughs> Cat right on. Cows, you know. Okay. All right, guys. So, <laughs> okay. I loved this movie growing up. I thought it was great. Uh, but I really feel that this movie about driving cattle through the wilderness and to Colorado is not a sacred cow. It can definitely be put out to pasture. 
I just don't feel like it holds up for me. It really more depressed me than anything else. So get over the fact that it was a different kind of cow that came out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the most depressing part. <laughs> I couldn't even hire a, on a husbandry, animal husbandry. Yes. <laughs> so I this just didn't hold up for me. And I'm very sad to say that it didn't. I mean, I'm still going to watch City Slickers, too, but. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk about that in the epilogue. Yeah. Uh, okay. Rock, paper, paper scissors. scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. scissors. I win. All right. So why don't you go first, Mike? Son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm actually flip-flopping a little bit, so I'd like to hear what you have to say. After giving it much thought, I am going to also go not sacred on this one. And I was actually leaning towards sacred when we came here, but I think it's the fact that I know you guys watched it more recently. I had to watch it a while ago, so I ended up sort of putting it in the back of my brain. And then when I came here to take it out, and then after discussing it with you guys, I, my, my mind changed. I was leaning more towards sacred, and that was mostly because of the whole one thing, Norman relationship. But then, you know, I kind of glossed over all the other things I didn't really like about it that kind of came back up here. And they were in my notes, too. But yeah, so I'm going to say not sacred with a heavy heart. Because I think the message at the end is good, but the rest of the movie, not so great. I mean, you can get that same message from several other movies, though. Right. So, that are a lot better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Man, you two are making it hard for me to stick with my sacred verdict, which is what I was planning on doing. But um, I think it's a free country, and I don't have to just go with the crowd. You don't have to kowtow? As yeah, you I don't have to kowtow. <laughs> just go with the rest of the herd. That kind of thing. I think that this movie, I was, I, when I heard we were going to have to watch City Slickers, I was like, well, not sacred, obviously. But then I watched it and I thought, dang, this movie really is heartfelt, has good messages, uh, characters that we can, you know, root for and feel kind of a kinship with. I mean, I'm getting into, I'll be in my late 30s any day now. So, I mean, there are things about the lives of these characters that definitely struck a chord with me. And it has a good central moral, like you said, Mike, the one thing and that kind of thing. And, you know, it, it's just, it's full, it's a movie that's kind of full of good advice, I think. And I'm happy that I watched it. So, and I probably will watch it again, whereas I said I will never watch, you know, I would never have ever chosen to watch this movie on my own. Now, that being said, I haven't had the passage of time like you have, Mike, to just forget about this film and that kind of thing. But it's, it's kind of a bad thing, actually. It's but... <laughs> fresh in my mind now, and I think, yeah, that was a good movie. I'm glad that I watched it, and I will probably watch it again. So, Sacred. I'm saying Sacred. Well, well fine. Um, yeah. This is still a democracy, and you still and lose. You... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's just fine. I just want to go on the record. You know, note in, note in your captain's log that I went on the record as sacred. Yeah, he, okay. he voted Nader there and no one cared. So, Yeah. It, it does tend to work better when we get a, a, a third person on here for the whole voting thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Two people is kind of hard. <laughs> Two people, yeah, you know. Well, we've only had one tie before. Yeah. And one draw up. So I will accept defeat. Let the Wiki Smith show. <laughs> yeah. Right. I kind of feel like if maybe this movie were 15 minutes shorter, it might be sacred to me. 
just the depressing intro is just so much to take on. And the rampant sexism. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't great. And, I, you know, I'm just going to say I, the intro was maybe what I liked best about it. It didn't have to take place on a, on a trail, in my opinion. It could have just been the whole damn thing could have been in the city. It doesn't matter. Huh. So you're saying a cattle drive it, through a city? Yeah, New York City, <laughs> rush oh, hour. Oh, are we doing movie pitches now? Because we should do, like, City Slickers 2052. 2052. Or 2252 <laughs> or something like that. Are we putting all of the cattle oh, yeah, That's yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking the last herd of cattle on Earth to be cloned so that we can still eat burgers. <laughs> there we go. But do they look like the cows right. now or the ones from, like, the Fallout video games? Oh, absolutely two-headed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> two-headed Brahmin or whatever. Uh, now we'll go on to final thoughts. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that even though we thought that this movie was not sacred, it... I think we can agree that it was a good movie and we liked it, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's it I mean, it worth watching perhaps, you know, I would say. Worth watching, not worth ruining for yourself if you remembered it being super. Right. Yeah, you know, nostalgia's a tricky little devil, mm-hmm. I right. have to say. But um while this movie, you know, at least had some good points for it, you know, 90% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, there is a black sheep in the family known as the younger brother, uh, City Slickers 2. What would it, the search for Curly's Gold or just Curly's Gold or something? The Legend like of Curly's Gold. The Legend of Curly's Gold. Couldn't be more different, right? I mean, at least as far as public opinion goes. Yeah, we. <laughs> We can't not talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> Certainly. Other than that to say that we're not, we're, this is it. If you want to hear about Curly's Gold, this mm-hmm, is it. Yeah. This little after section is it all does, you're going to hear. It does not get its own episode with a joke. <laughs> no, it does not. Uh, Sounds to me, I haven't seen it. I won't see it. Sounds to me like it is a joke. Uh, at least it, that, ju- uh, judging by its Razzie win for uh, worst sequel. And, and uh, the director, the same director, Ron Underwood, directed it. Um, he got nominated for Worst Director for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it, it was an excuse to basically try to get the gang back together, except they replaced Bruno Kirby, because he wouldn't come back. He's like, this script is stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, with John Lovitz, who's like, yeah, I need some money. He's like, <laughs> oh, I do stupid for a living. So It's all about... Um, Sorry, Curly's brother Duke was also played by Jack Palance. Also Pallas. played by Jack uh, and, they, and they basically try to find his lost gold, which is the whole premise is garbage. Yeah. Yes, it seems like they probably, and again, I speak from a place of not knowing because I didn't see it, they probably thought maybe we should play it up for laughs a little bit more. Let's get John Lovitz on the, on the cast. Let's put him on a goofy quest and, you know... It just seems, I do remember watching that. I haven't watched it recently. But even then, when I was a young kid, I remember, like, this is not as good as City this Slickers. This is not up to the, the same level. Yeah. And and now, reading about it, it seems like it, the premise invalidates everything that they learned and these characters learned in City Slickers. Right. So. So, unnecessary sequel that kind of ruined everything. Sounds That's like. why we don't have City Slickers 3, y'all. Yep, that's right. That's why nobody's even heard the name Ron Underwood lately. Actually, we have Pluto <laughs> Nash also to thank for that. I think it's time to close the book on the City Slickers franchise. Uh, we, right got... off into the sunset. Yeehaw! 
Uh, I'll just die while I'm here on my horse. Yeah. <laughs> I will just very, very suddenly die. Uh, we would like to uh, tell you where you can find us. Of course, you can get in touch with us at Sacred Cows Pod on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. Hear your thoughts on what you agree with us, disagree with us, uh, whatever on. We also have an email address, sacredcows at herooftheweb.com. And those are both very important because our next episode is going to be sort of uh, Sacred Cows the Year in Review, where we're going to be talking about all the things that we've talked about before, your reactions to our reviews, and all sorts of fun things uh, related to the last year. So We're getting nostalgic about ourselves. Send us your your emails, give us your tweets. Um, If you want to send us an audio, a little clip yourself in MP3 format to ask us a question or tell us how wrong we are about something, Tell um, us that we're not sacred. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, Our that, egos are very fragile. That would be the place to do it. Or if you want to ask any of our guests, including Veronica, uh, a question about the you know, episodes and things that they've seen and been on, um, you know, we will get the, the information back to them and see if they have uh, anything to say back to you that we can pass on. I've got a question, Veronica. Can you teach me how to do that sanity roll for disembodied voice guy? I mean, he's going to wake up sometime. <laughs> yes, of course. Awesome. <laughs> of course, we also want your iTunes reviews. Uh, we'd love a five-star review. Uh, say what you want in the review section itself. Put us down. Give us those backhanded love compliments. But uh, we do want those five-star reviews. And we promise that when you do one, there'll be a celebrity reading. Get out our checkbook and get that going. Absolutely, and we swear those celebrities are not us. <laughs> yeah, and we have uh, we have one for next episode. So uh, if you want us to have to get two celebrities, I think you'll have to uh, have to get on that iTunes review. Absolutely. So Veronica, please tell us where we can get in touch with you on Twitter and about more about your show Cthulhu and Friends. Yeah, totally. If you want to check us out, we are on the Geekly Inc. Network. So you can go to geeklyinc.com and type in Cthulhu and Friends. If you want to check out our flagship podcast and want to tweet at us or whatever, we're on Twitter at CAF Podcast. And we also have another podcast stream called Side Quests. And we just recently finished a whole Ghostbusters arc. So uh, if you want to check that out, that's also pretty fun. All of these are available on iTunes and anywhere else that you download your podcasts. And if you want to talk directly to me, I am on Twitter at Typical Veronica. Awesome. Cool. Everything that you talk about is very cool and everybody should go check it out. Friends of the show. Friends of the show. Yeah. So that's... That's really it. I think we just put another one in the can, everybody. Oh, that's good what job. She said. Big hand, everybody. Yay. Yay. So, Veronica, you will join us again some other time, right? Oh, absolutely. City Slickers, too. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think she has better taste. Yeah. Do we have any other uh, cattle ranching comedies on the list? I don't think we want to pigeonhole her as only knowing about cattle. <laughs> only cattle. All right. They'd probably get all the facts about them wrong anyway, so it'd just be aggravating. That's all good. What do you know about We'll have cattle? a new section called Veronica's Cattle Rant. <laughs> <laughs> no. Cattle Rant. No, we'd love to have you for something else. We don't know what yet, but we'll have you back. Yeah, uh, make Absolutely. it something creepy. Uh, my fans tend to enjoy that. So. Something creepy, Some all creepy. right. Well, there is a Ghostbusters movie coming up, and we did talk about doing something with that. Oh, mm. yes, yes. I'm Nothing creepier than ghosts. Happy to do that. I know lots about the busting ghosts. Uh, from Mike, 
Pete and Veronica. Happy trails, folks. There's a good one. There we go. <laughs> you can reach me by Pony Express. Oh, boy. How do you... Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> you, come on. You've got one. Um, uh, hello? That, that's, that's all I've got, guys. Yeehaw! We'll just cut it there.